Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is our text from Mark chapter 10. So the question is, who or what do you call Lord and Master and God of your life? Who is it or what is it that calls the shots, that directs your actions and your lifestyle? Who or what is it that moves you, that motivates you to say and do things throughout the other 167 hours of the week when you're not sitting here in church for an hour? These are the types of questions that Jesus was asking the rich young man in verses just preceding our gospel text this morning in Mark 10. These are the thoughts that Jesus is laying out before his disciples and before each one of us right now. Who do you call the Lord of your life? Who do you call the master? Who do you call the God of your life? Now, these are not softball questions by any stretch of the mind. These are some very hard questions that really dig into the heart and soul of every person, regardless of who he is, regardless of what position a person holds, even whether a person is a believer or not. The question is still valid. Who or what is the center of your life? Who's the shot caller? Who's the king? This episode with Jesus and the rich man isn't really exactly about wealth, about money, or about possessions. It's really about answering the question of who or what is at the center of one's life that determines how decisions are made. But Jesus uses the example of money and possessions and wealth to drive his point home, to hit that hard reality of answering the question, who do I serve? Who will I serve today? You remember the words of the epistle lesson that were just read? The last verses of that epistle lesson in Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of bones, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, the word of God cuts through all of this stuff. It cuts through all of our excuses. It cuts through all of the base logic and reasoning that we have. It lays open before God all of our life. And there is a call for us to answer, 
to give an accounting of what my or your life is focused on. What is it centered on? What is it directed by? Is it the Lord God or something else? So back to Mark's gospel. As Jesus responds to this rich man, a man who evidently was a religious man as he recognizes the teacher Jesus as one who could answer a pressing question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus asked him a question. Why do you call me good? Since there is no one good except God. Yet, Jesus says, you call me good. And Jesus, without saying it, basically says, I am good because I am God. So when Jesus calls the rich man to follow him, he is saying, you need God at the center of your life. I am God. Follow me. But you have let something else become the center of your life your wealth, your possessions, your riches. Jesus then says to him, go and sell your possessions and all that you have. But that is incidental to the call to follow Jesus. Central to this conversation was Jesus' call to follow him, to put Jesus, to put God at the center of his life, to trust God above all else. For he says, then you will have your treasure in heaven that lasts forever. And at this, the man's face fell and sadness overcame him because he had great wealth and he went away. Now comes our text this morning, the gospel lesson, where Jesus sums up some teaching for his disciples. And he says it very clearly. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. What? That must have blown those poor disciples' minds. Because the culture at that time said anybody who had wealth and possessions and who was doing well evidently was blessed of God because God had favor upon him. After all, it, it doesn't that mean that God has blessed him? That this is a sign of spirituality, of great spirituality and being blessed? There are some today, there are many today who feel that way. In fact, some of them even preach a gospel of prosperity. That if you're right enough with God, if you're in good standing with God because you're doing all the right things for God, going to church and serving on boards and committees and doing humanitarian events, then you are automatically part of the kingdom of God, right? Well, that's pretty much backwards, upside down and inside out, and just basically wrong. That's Jesus' position. That's not something I just made up. And it says, and the disciples were amazed. And later we are told they were exceedingly astonished 
at his words. But let's look at Jesus' teaching, which was probably influenced by the words of Solomon, which were read as part of our Old Testament lesson this morning. It says, whoever loves money or wealth or possessions, what? Never thinks they have enough. They're never satisfied because like a mist or a fog or a vapor, it's here today and then it's gone. And that's how the things of this world are. They go away. We had a neighbor back in Iowa who was a very successful farmer, always expanding his land base, always having the best and the biggest machinery and equipment. And he was always getting more and more land rented because he was going behind his neighbor's back to the landlords to up their, his, the rent that he would pay. And he was making enemies in the process. So one day, I did have a relationship with him. One day I asked him, point blank, I said, when is enough enough for you? When are you going to be satisfied? Is it more important to farm 10,000 plus acres and keep getting better than to have friends as neighbors? And he had no answer. You have probably heard it said, money is the root of all evil. But the word of God, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, says it this way. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Remember that rich man as this text is getting set up? As Jesus has this discussion with him and he can see the conflict going on in this guy's life, it also says, Mark records, and Jesus loved him. He had a, he had a compassion for this man not to be caught up in the things of this world, but in the things that will last forever. See, this, this particular text is not just about money in the terms of dollars and cents, but it's about one's wealth, one's possessions, maybe one's job, or fame, or time. And all of these fit the category. And I suspect that each one of us can add some, some things that that have maybe pulled us away from, from God's and focused on our own selfish interest. It doesn't take too much to get distracted sometimes, does it? A large unpaid bill will cause us worry and concern. A call from the doctor regarding an MRI and the discovery of cancer. The call from the school claiming that there's been an incident with your child about drugs or bullying or skipping classes or the friend 
who wants to talk to you about your spouse who was seen with another person. And that list goes on and on. And every time, it blurs our focus. It distracts our attention from trusting God. And as it says, we are pierced then with many griefs, not the least of which may cause faith to falter. But Jesus doesn't give up. He doesn't throw up his hands and turn away and and say, I'm done. He gives us another lesson of the Father's extreme care and love for us. And the words in our text, which at first glance may seem kind of harsh, are actually setting the stage for another part of his teaching. When he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, the disciples may have thrown up their hands and they said, who then can be saved? How is this going to happen? We don't have a chance. Now you may have heard the explanation that the eye of a needle was like a subgate in the larger city gate that, that surrounded the city through which a lot of business traffic passed. The subgate, this eye of the needle, was a little gate in the midst of this big gate. It allowed the gates to be shut at night so that it would be able to protect the citizens from people coming in and attacking at night. This subgate would be opened up. This eye of the needle would be opened up so that a man or a person could walk through one at a time. The thinking was that if a loaded down camel came up, they could unload the camel, they could force the camel to get down on its knees, and then somebody behind them could start pushing and somebody in the front could start pulling, and eventually they could get that camel through the eye of the needle. Thus making it possible for the camel to get through the eye of a needle. But does that square with what Jesus is saying today? No. This eye of the needle that he is talking about is an actual needle, like on your bulletin cover. An actual needle. And unless a man could shrink a camel down to the size that could pass through the eye of a needle, it was definitely impossible. So exceedingly astonished were the disciples at this statement that they asked, who then can be saved? Trying to save oneself by working out one's own eternal salvation, by storing up riches, by impressing others, by doing all the right things, is not going to make it happen. Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But God makes the impossible totally possible. Trusting God alone, letting the Lord God be the center of our life, makes the impossible possible. Who of us could ever shrink a camel down to the size that it could pass through the eye of a needle? Except God. God could do it. 
Make that camel so small it could go through the eye of a needle. He can make the impossible possible. Who but God alone has done the impossible? You see, the disciples were experiencing firsthand that which we who live today know by faith, the action that the Father took in sending his Son into this world to be our Savior. The Word of God was wrapped up in human flesh and delivered into this world so that he could grow up and take the sins of the world, of your sins and my sins, upon himself, and he could go to the cross and die for the punishment of our sins. God has done the impossible to make our life possible in him. He has taken the the life of fallen sinners and redeemed it. He has given us certain and final hope that we may spend an eternity with him instead of being totally separated because of our sin and our death. Jesus takes the punishment of our sins and the sins of the whole world upon himself and he suffers and dies in our place. He became like us so that he might die for us to redeem us from death and hell. He gave his life that you and I and all who believe in him might have new life today and life forever with him in heaven. So, who are you going to call Lord and Master? Something that is here today and gone? Or one that has done the impossible and keeps doing it every day for our sake? Who keeps on forgiving and restoring and healing and blessing us? All of this is ours today and it's real. It's forever. It's not a mist. It's not a vapor. It's not a fog. It's real and it's now. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's not simply trusting Jesus and following him and then great, no more problems, no more situations, no more persecutions. No. What Jesus says is, I will be with you always. That's the promise that he gives us in our baptism to be part of that family, to be a part of this family that encourages and supports and helps one another It's the promise that he brings to us in the Lord's Supper as the assurance of our forgiveness that has been won on the cross and his presence with us in that eating and drinking of his body and blood. Our promise is from him that he will be with us regardless of everything that's going on around us, everything that's trying to distract us, all the, all the power of the devil in the world and our sinful flesh that's trying to distract us from God and following him. Jesus says, my resurrection power is what you need, is what you have, is what's available to you. Follow me. Trust me. Listen and be empowered by this word of life, this word and power of the resurrection that has defeated the world, the power of the devil, and overcome our own sinful flesh.
for me, and I pray for you, the choice of whom we follow is so obvious that it isn't even a challenge to decide. But you and I both know that there are so many in this world around us who are still caught in the web of themselves, in their own jobs, in their wealth, in their possessions, that it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take an act of God who still does the impossible today, that living word that cuts through all the stuff that distracts him from being the Lord and center of life. And it's going to take you and me and all who confess Jesus as Lord to share, to live, to demonstrate, to tell God's love in Jesus Christ, who is the only way of hope and life today and in the world to come. May God grant it for his glory and the sake of all who will be saved in the name of Jesus. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.